This episode of the Jiu-Jitsu Times podcast is brought to you in part by No Judges Needed BJJ Apparel and Lavender Lane CBD Products. You can use the promo code JJT for 20% off your first order at No Judges Needed and the code JJTimes20, all uppercase, last two items are numerical, for 20% off your first order of CBD products. Thank you very much for sticking with us. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Jiu-Jitsu Times podcast. I am your host, Kevin Bradley, joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Kevin Gallagher. And if you're confused by the background and why I'm not uh, in my typical office setup, it is because I'm currently filming remotely in Iowa. I'm here to do color commentary for Subspectrum's BJJ Woodstock event uh, tomorrow. Weigh-ins are later today, so I'm going to be going from this to that. Uh, but it's it's set to be a really good show, and I'm I'm sure we're going to be able to get a lot of good clips for the for the site and the blog. But uh, enough about me, Kev G. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good, bro. I mean, that's I, I'm doing nothing exciting this week, so you continue to talk about the exciting things you're doing over BJJ Woodstock. I have, I did nothing today. I got to watch Matt Frivola spar getting ready for his next UFC fight this afternoon. That was pretty much the extent of my day. How's, it's been a lazy day today. How's he looking? Oh, he's like he's always like good. Matt Favreau is an animal, you know. And it's it's at at that level of fighting when you're when you're when you enter into the UFC, particularly when you're fighting like Matty is. You know, he's on his second contract, so he's yeah. on fight five. I think he's on. Like when you when you get that second contract, like it's just the level of intensity and the level of toughness that you're at amplifies even more than just making it into because you've already made the cut. Not only did you make it to yeah. the UFC. You made it through that first three fight contract, where you, where most people get mauled and, and kicked to the side, and they liked you enough and thought enough of you to make you or to give you an opportunity to come back and fight some more. And he said it perfectly. We were talking about how you know this guy's tough. You're going to fight. He's fighting. Uh, I forget his name. I got it somewhere. But he's fighting this, this another 155, a real good tough kid. And he looked at me and said, "Bro, Coach Kevin, like." Everybody I fight now is tough. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing about he's tough, they're tough. Everyone there is tough and a machine and fully capable of ending the fight at any given moment. But, you know, it's fun. Maddie's there with it. It's funny because, yeah, it's funny because between, you know, Matt and Billy Q, we're, we're kind of, we get to see both sides of the, both levels of a guy that's made that first cut and the guy that is, uh, still making that first cut, like yeah. actively competing to make that first cut. Uh, how's he been? Have you have you talked to him lately? Because I haven't heard from him in a while. Oh, Billy Q, that little punk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see him. I see him every day. I literally see him. Probably he's he's in. Um, he went to go visit his family up in Virginia this weekend, but he's training up there with his his brothers and stuff. But I see him every day, and he's he's on a he's, he's fighting too. They but they both have fights. Um, I can't remember if they're on the same card or one week and then the next week, but, um, they both have fights coming up. They're both very deep into their fight camps coming up in Vegas. Pretty soon. We got a couple oh, other guys shoot. that are trying to peek onto the contender too. A guy named Troll Gerhardt, Hugh Pulley, both our two pro guys that we have that are trying to get a peek into the contender series. Cause the contender series is, is like the only route to the UFC anymore. There's, there's no other. No other, no other avenues to get into the UFC. That's something interesting we can talk about. I kind of talked about that a little bit with uh, Mark Charles 
uh, last week when, when I did an interview for Aces, and we did uh, we talked we pre-talked about what we're going to talk about later the, the Daniel Cormier fight, Stipe fight, and we talked about how the contender series has become so much more important due to the fact that you know there really is you know there's a few venues where you can have uh, lower level feeder events for the UFC low level pro pro uh you know what they call regional professional events but if it's not the contender it's nothing else it's the only route to get into the UFC anymore actually that's that's really interesting and as someone that's followed it for as long as you have do you think the contender series is more important than the ultimate fighter at this point I mean it's I mean it depends on that's a very Different, open-ended it's different. question. It's yeah, it's, very, it's an open-ended question because yeah. obviously it's 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 more important because if you talk about ways to get fighters in, you know, you have to keep the level competitiveness up, and the only reason the UFC is is able to do that is by cutting guys that don't make the cut, therefore bringing bringing guys in new fresh blood to 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 try to mix things up and keep that cycle continuing. So in that aspect, the contender series is very important. Because there's literally no other way to make it into the UFC right now aside from that, or just Dana White just saying, "Hey, we need somebody who's around, you know, who who has X, Y, Z, or maybe a former UFC fighter that we could bring up to to to, to sign another contract for him or bring him up for one fight or something." But when um, I think when I think of when I think of that roadmap, and you got organizations like King of the Cage, where ninety percent of their marketing is going towards, "Hey, look at all of these UFC champions that used to be here." This is what you get to see potentially the next generation of uh, champions before they really make it to that level. So there are the, there are organizations that are their whole gimmick or, or thing is that where we know what we are, we're the thing before the UFC, right? And this is your chance to basically say, hey, I saw uh, Stipe back when he was a, a nobody fighting out of this place, or I saw X woman fighter. Uh, before she went on to beat uh, Amanda Nunes and become the new goat of the universe, you know. So, d- do you think regional promote like how like what level? If we were to map out levels of importance, is essentially like levels of baseball, like AAA farm teams, AA farm teams, the 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 majors. Does it go regional promotion or does it go like high school wrestling? like studs, college wrestling studs, regional promotion to contender series to the UFC just because it's kind of murky. Am I making any kind of sense or am I rambling? Yeah, well, so there's varying degrees of marketability for different fighters, right? And it comes from pedigree. It comes from, you know, what camp you trained out of, you know, who who is giving you the nod to say, hey, this guy is good. Therefore, they can stamp their name on that to make them marketable. So if like you're a you know a division one national champion wrestler, you know, you still have to work up the ranks. They're not gonna put you right in the UFC, but you're going to get a quicker nod to go on to like a Titan FC or King of the Cage. Like there's different levels of professional MMA fighter. First of all, you always gotta have amateur fights depending on what state you live in. I think in the state of Florida, you're required to have eight amateur fights. I think it's eight before you can move on to uh the professional ranks and that's across the board it used to not be that way now it is um so once you go to the amateur ranks you can go to kind of local club mma fights and i tell you like it's 
just like the just like the ACDC song, man. It's it's a it's a it's a long way to the top, man. You know, it's a, if you, if you want to rock and roll, it's it's because I've been to a, a bunch, right? I've been to a bunch of these little local cards, and like, bro, like most of them are not nice. Most of them are in old skating rings, and you know bummed out freaking uh double tree hotel lobbies and you know it's it's not necessarily the creme to the creme of the community that you'd expect from a US. the last the last regional mma show i went to i think it was held in what is normally a spirit halloween store right at like 100 <laughs> or or the parking lot of like a, a tilted kilt or a wings gone wild you know it's it's this sun, this Sunday, the basement of the Fuddruckers off of Route 9. Right. Be there. Be square. <laughs> so depending upon where you're at and what kind of backing you have, what kind of marketability you have, what kind of pedigree you have, like like Billy, for example, like Billy had the Billy's a stud. Matt Favola is the same way, too. Like, you know, we had Matt, we had Matt, Matt Arroyo, ex-UFC fighter, coaching for them, and he has all the connections to the UFC. But neither one of those guys was – a pedigreed athlete that had the status to be able to say, Hey, look, watch us right now. We could say Matt Arroyo says good things about them, but they still have to prove themselves. So a guy like Billy or a guy like Matt had to first of all fight their eight amateur fights, which oh God, amateur MMA is. I tell you, man, if I didn't love the sport of, 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 of combat athletics as much as I did, like I don't think I would ever go to a, an amateur MMA event. It's just, it's, it's it's difficult for me just to be around places like that. It just it there brings is, out the worst uh, element. On King, uh, the last King of the Cage show I went to, they had they had an undercard that was all amateur fights, and it was it was not fun. Yeah, to, as a fan of the sport, because there were people there that it looked like they just thought this would be fun to try, like old Grant men that were out of shape right. and in basketball shorts, and right. like. Like out of shape dudes that just sort of thought, man, this is like I got a puncher's chance, and I'm like, it, it yeah, was tough to watch because they really would, understand. They would fighting. They were, and it's not like they were put up against each other. These guys were put up against the guys that are on the amateur, so that they can go pro, and it's real for them. Like right. massive chiseled dudes that are like ex wrestlers that just that are trying to eat as many skulls as they can so they can climb their way to the top and rock and roll. And it's like, they're not going to be nice to the old guy that is delirious into thinking his one jujitsu no. class makes him able to, to, no. to have an amateur MMA fight. It, it, it's rough. I, I never want to see another one. Yeah. Let me, let me tell you something too, Kev, just from experience and, and historically, you know, professional fighting across the board is not a very, you know, fun, not a very nice sport in terms of matchmaking in that regard like there are literally guys that you know are journeymen that have you know that are like eight and four or ten and six you know guys that are probably you know they still believe they still got it but they're tough because they've got those 10 16 fights so they're journeymen but they will literally throw them to the wolves as a stepping stone to pad some two-time all-american wrestler who's trying to win his third fight so that he could get appearances in the ufc now if the old, the old guy wins it maybe it puts him one more step closer to get to the ufc but the odds are is they're just you know they're around just to make these prospects look good i think it's, the it's kind <clears throat> the kindest version of that that i've seen is uh, in the careers of like dylan dylan dennis and aj uh agazarm because 
it's different if you're feeding like feeding someone to a pro jujitsu player like a pro black belt is a lot different than feeding them to a wrestler or like a boxer because if you're feeding them to the the black belt they're going to submit you you feed them to the wrestler they're going to make you hurt and beat the shit out of you or if you're a kickboxer they're going to kick your teeth out so that's the only version i'm kind of like i can stomach just because okay i get to see a clinic get put on by a world-class black belt you know but it's it's but the the point of everything we're saying is because of all of the COVID restrictions, um, you know, you the UFC may have an exemption to be able to continue to put on shows, uh, and they're able to do that because they don't need a crowd. They can sell they can sell pay per views. Remember, we had Ray Longo talking about this, so they can get away with not selling tickets and still being profitable because they have ESPN behind them. They have pay per view pay per view dollars coming in behind them, um, you know. Because just because they can continue to uh, to to succeed and 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 put on shows, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in the near future when there's no longer local events or these king of the cage events going on to be able to procure new talent. Um, even with the contender, like we we had a critique about the contender last week, and uh, it was one of the rare occasions where every fighter that that won got on the show. It doesn't happen very much. Yeah. And they asked Dana White point blank, hey, are you taking these fighters on because they earned it or are you taking them on because uh, you need more fighters? And he, 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 he you know, in, in his classic way, he was kind of vague about it, but he seems, seemed pretty obvious to me. I mean, I, everyone's hurting right now. And also, he can't risk cutting guys with talent and then having them just go to Bellator because Bellator is hurting just as much, if not more, than the UFC right now. But they also have uh, the ability to let fighters have sponsorships. You know, they're a lot le- like looser with a lot of the things that the UFC is not. So people can go there for a, a different level of pay right out the gate. You know, that's how you get the competition that we're seeing. I don't necessarily know what the pay scale is over at one, but I, I also know I don't know if a lot of people would be willing to make the trip to Singapore right now like i i struggled in making the trip here like i was worried right. about going to iowa where the rates have been really low but it's the whole, uh, the whole it's a calamity across the board that we need to figure out a way to to fix here pretty soon we're, we're still still haven't seen the real ripple effects of what's to come um but you know yeah that being said the ufc still truck along they're still figuring yeah. things out we had a great fight this weekend and before we move yeah. on to talking about yeah. what, what many consider to be one of the greatest heavyweight fights in history, I uh, one, I wanted to take a, a second to thank you for running the show for the last two episodes as I've been <laughs> AWOL with my work schedule. Uh, it just goes to show that this show would be better without me, but thankfully, <laughs> yeah, I don't think Kev just realized that. <laughs> I will definitely tell you, like, I, I, it's definitely not. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> hey, I, I like listened to those episodes. You, and... did a, you did a great job, man. But number two, I wanted to briefly shout out our sponsor, No Judges Needed. You might be noticing that me and Kev are rocking some really sick No Judges Needed shirts. Super comfortable, form-fitting. Uh, they make your jujitsu a lot better too. I don't know if I'm illegally allowed to say that, but it's true. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I could tap Hodja right now. No lie in the in this shirt. But if you're worried, oh no, they just have apparel. I'm looking for training gear. You're in luck. They have geese and rash guards. 
tons of great stuff along with hats and and all the goodies that you could ever hope for in a BJJ apparel company. And if price is worrying you, don't worry. We're here to help. You can use the promo code JJT for 20% off all purchases. Just go there. Let them know we sent you. It's people help the people. Once again, shout out Fred Claus, underrated Christmas movie. But yeah, just got to give some love to No Judges Needed because they're they're keeping us looking fresh uh, all day, every day. And uh, yeah, you gotta you gotta shout out the boys. You know, day one company jujitsu owned and operated by one of my black belt brothers and one of my close personal friends, Troy Regano. Man, go 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 give this yeah. guy support because Troy's and an if awesome you, dude. And if you're just listening to this, just imagine the coolest possible shirt that could ever be made. Have that image in your head and then go buy one. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Because I can tell you, they look really sick. All right, let's talk about let's talk about the fights. Let's we do gotta. it. Yeah, let's do right. it. Amazing fights. Stipe Miocic defeated Daniel Cormier in the rematch and uh, the, the the completion of their trilogy uh, coming ahead in two fights. Um, I, I I I was lucky enough to be the guy that covered it for the Jiu-Jitsu Times the whole time. I was absolutely glued to the TV. What did you think, man? Um, absolutely the the greatest heavyweight fight of of all time. I. Uh... And I use that in in several different uh, modes or several different rationale levels to explain my point. Um, first of all, the trilogy aspect, and you've got two of possibly the greatest heavyweight fighters of all time. You know, Daniel Cormier, uh, what he was the what a strike force grand prix champion uh yeah former ufc champion um olympian olympian Again. you know yeah. one of one of arguably uh one of the greatest uh you know mma fighters of all time you know we talked about the, the he only lost he's lost someone said something stupid about well he's lost so many he's lost four fights it's like yeah but two two to the same two guys you know <laughs> who are the greatest heavyweight probably <laughs> of all time stipe and the greatest light heavyweight of all time probably the greatest guy to ever put the gloves on john jones so yeah, when when you consider that amount of drama leading up to it, this is you know they're both one and one, two knockouts. Cormier wants to retire on top of the world. Stipe wants to solidify himself as the greatest heavyweight of all time. Um, leading up to that, you see things like that that happen a lot in MMA fights, and the actual fight becomes a bit lackluster. Um, or maybe not yeah. living up to the expectations. It's just the way it goes. You know, never it happens, it happens. But these two guys, man, amazing, amazing performance by two guys that truly wanted to prove to the world that they were the best to ever do it. And man, such such a good fight. Do you think do you think they in the despite uh, regardless of the outcome, do you think the effort on display from both men over the course of this trilogy would leave any doubt as to the fact that we got to see two of the best MMA fighters to ever do it. One unquestionably on unquestionably. I don't, I don't think there's any doubt in anyone's mind that these two guys are top five, top 10 Stipe kind of, you never know in that heavyweight division because there, people are never going to get Stipe the credit he deserves just because he's just not that guy. You know, he doesn't have the, the appeal. He doesn't have the fanfare. He's kind of a worker blue collar dude. Does his job, goes back to the firehouse, and it's all he over. Literally, he's a, a literal first responder in the right. middle of the worst pandemic right. that we right. will ever hopefully experience. And he's full time just doing that 
while also defending the belt. Like he, how many times did he defend the belt uh, before he losing it? It was like three times. Three, three. yeah. Which is it doesn't sound like a lot, but in the world of MMA, in heavyweight, heavyweight in, division, like that's a big deal. That was the most he's ever the most he's ever done it, and now he is one successful defense into his second reign as heavyweight champion of the world. And he looked, I couldn't imagine him looking better than what he looked when he fought DC uh, this weekend. I don't think there could have been a better. I don't think there's a better. He looked in shape. He looked amazing. I don't think there's a better version of Stipe out there than the version of Stipe that fought. uh, that fought uh, Cormier this last weekend. Yeah, and honestly, the lessons he was very clearly learning from in in the time since the last fight, so on display. You know, the takedowns were a big problem for him. Are you okay? Yeah, I got to plug in my computer. Yeah. Oh, no worries. You're good. Keep talking. Yeah, but the the lessons that he learned, like the their second their. Uh, First fight, takedowns were a problem. Second fight, takedowns were a problem. Um, but this fight, Daniel Daniel only landed, I think, one takedown. I'll just wait for you. I could I could cut this, man. Don't worry. Yeah. You're gonna edit that out. <laughs> Yeah, I'll edit that out. Don't worry. Right. Right. I, I forgot to plug my damn computer in. It was about to die because it'll once it goes red with this thing running, it'll just bloop. Yeah, it'll, it'll just off. conk. Yeah. yeah, but so just in terms from their from their first two to now, how did you? What did you think of what the how Stepe changed his approach? He was yeah. a lot more big on the body shots. You know, he was great. He got t- taken down, but it was really quick to stand up. Like I think Daniel only landed one or two. Take you down know, so. In particular, uh, what I noticed more than anything is that uh, Stipe embraced the fact that he is a natural heavyweight and used that to his advantage, used the fact that he is the bigger man to his advantage. Because this is just, again, to a, a nod to the greatness that is Daniel Cormier. You know, he's not really a heavyweight. He's a blown-up light heavyweight that doesn't want to cut weight anymore because he's old or whatever. It takes too much out of him. So he fights at, you know, three 236 without – without doing anything to cut weight. I mean, he's in great shape, obviously. But he's not really – I mean, Stipe, they kept commenting on it. He's just a massive, massive man, you know, 6'4", ripped and chiseled. Like, there, you couldn't have – you know, 6'4", 230 pounds in, in perfect shape, not an ounce yeah, of fat he, on him. He looked like a, about the most well-conditioned I think I've ever seen him yeah, look. Yeah, he looked amazing. Are you sad, lonely, scared? Do your friends point and laugh at how bad your outside heel hooks are? Have you given up hope? Well, chin up, comrade! BJJ Black Belt and purveyor of fine coffee, Josh Starlord LaDuke is here to change your life. Buy his new DVD, Quantum Breaking Mechanics, with the link in the description to gain all the secrets of foot mangling and knee wrecking to destroy all who stand in your way. Now, Josh doesn't know we're sharing this, so act fast before he finds out and unmakes us with the power of his mind. Shit, that's him. Oh, he's pissed. Uh, Anyway, I I gotta go, but uh, click the link and uh, always heel hook responsibly. Yeah. Like maybe Uber, maybe he was like a little bit more cut for Uberim, but like or Overim. Not right. he's not he hasn't been Uberim in a while. But like, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, he looked he looked just ready to go. Um, 
I was surprised Daniel didn't really see he was he was faking the takedown to set up a lot of shots. That seemed to be his game plan, but I thought he could have just done the takedown in so, a lot of ways. You know, Kev, I'm gonna I'm I thought about that a lot because when I watched the fight, and I'm gonna give you a little bit of my take on the entirety of the fight to kind of get to this point, particularly into the fifth round when they go into the fifth round and you talk about yeah. what happened in the fifth round. Um, first of all, Sipe is huge. And, you know, as much as Daniel Cormier can toss giant men around, he proved it against Josh Barnett. He proved it against tons of, 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 of heavyweight fighters. You know, picks him up with a high crotch, slings him in the air, like ragdolls him morale. Um, that's a lot of energy. And Stipe proved after the first – Stipe is not a slouch wrestler either. I think Stipe wrestled D1 too. He, he, he's got he, – he was I think he was a D2 champion or something like that actually. But he has a pretty substantial wrestling pedigree as well. Um, so the idea is when when Cormier took him down with that single leg in the first round, Stipe hopped right back up again. And that those actions take a considerable amount of energy out of the gas tank for you. And the idea is what's to gain from the takedown? Yes, you score some points and maybe you win that round. But what happens now when you have to go five rounds and you suck the entirety of your energy out? And to be honest with you, Deep steep or uh, DC and Stepe on the feet were pretty much even. Stepe or DC was able yeah. to come inside and land some good shots. What Stepe did really well was take away Daniel Cormier's moneymakers when he allows an opponent to get that underhook, and then he kind of slips his arm out and turns the corner and fires back with another yeah. right handed punch. Uh, Stepe did a great job of controlling the wrist on that, so that became less effective. That's how he knocked him out in the uh, in the first fight. But, you know, DC, anyway, it's, it's easy to say from the outside looking in, you're an Olympic wrestler, why don't you just take the guy down? Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, we're talking about a 40-year-old man now that yeah. has to go five rounds. And his, you know, his, his MMA IQ is arguably better than, than ours. I think it's less – I don't think we have to even argue that. No, I, I, I was trying to peer into his mind. I, when, when a guy that experienced makes decisions, I assume that I'm missing a piece of the puzzle. It's not like I'm, gonna, I'm not going to tell Daniel right. when to go for a double. I am not going to tell Daniel when he needs to take the fight to the ground. I can't. I probably am not qualified to tell him when to wipe his ass. He's he's probably good to tell me how to do everything in my life. But I also like to ask the question just because it helps my understanding of the game grow. And also, I think everyone is aware of how easily overconfident wrestlers, especially of that caliber, can be going in on a shot and just take like being on the receiving end of a lot of punishment for a guy that knows he's going to go to that shot. And Stipe, equally high fight IQ, I think he's proven by now. He, I, he's he got a pretty good read on when a shot's coming. Like, his defense right. was really good. Even when the, even when DC was faking, you could see his, his defense was just there. I, I do want to talk about the eye pokes, though. Yeah. Because they are the only blight on what was otherwise a, a, a Hall of Fame fight. Hall of Fame yeah. trilogy for a Hall of Fame fight. When I want to talk about one more thing about takedowns, yeah. when, when we get back to it, but we'll, we'll 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 talk about the eye poke for a second. No, but we'll no, we we can we can finish up on takedowns. Yeah. So the, the right, and, and it kind of leads into the whole narrative of the entirety of the fight, but in particular, you know that fifth round. Um, so when we start talking about the fifth round, 
in in my eyes, I had to fight even going into the fifth. I had Stipe two, uh, Cormier two. I think I think Cormier won the first round. Uh, Stipe won two and three, and then Cormier won the fourth round, being able to evade and, yeah. and, and move around. His head so, movement was crazy. His head movement was great, and he but, was able wait, to did, split the fight into punches. Wait, did Cormier dropped a, a DC at the end of three, right? Into four, I think it was. Into, yeah, coming yeah. in. It was yeah, right at Stipe, the end. He was uh, getting no, lit Stipe, up. Stipe dropped Cormier at the end of the second round. Right. And then, okay. and then the third round was Cormier kind of getting his head back around, getting his head out. And then, he unfortunately, he gets eye-poked in the, end of the third round when he's going to come on hard in the fourth. And, you know, kudos to DC. He sucked it up in that fourth round. And I, I think he ended up coming back blind in one eye, not knowing where it is. Just, you know, more testament into his greatness and, and ends up figuring out a way to win that fourth round. And then you're coming in the fifth round. And, you know, DC up until that point, again, if the, if you're looking at the fight even two to two, like DC still believes he has an opportunity to come back and win that fight on his feet because, hey, he's won the last two rounds. You know, the, the, the fight is even up. And I believe in his mind, everyone, every, most people thought it was. I don't remember the scorecards, but I think that most of the refs, the, 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 the judges actually had Stipe winning four rounds but i can't i can't i can't remember that off the top of my head um but anyway in my mind in his mind i think he thinks he's going in the fifth round even and i thought he was going in the fifth round even myself so he's thinking okay i'm just going to keep with the same game plan i'm not going to blow myself out with a takedown i'm going to keep firing punches to win this fight on my terms standing up because i can do that but steep pitches wasn't buckling at all the point is this daniel cormier is an olympic wrestler unquestionably has one of the greatest wrestling pedigrees in all of, of modern MMA. You are going into the fifth round tied two to two. Um, you need to win this round in order to solidify your place in history as the greatest combat athletic uh, combat fighter of all time. You know, definitely the greatest heavyweight of all time. I still don't understand why he doesn't say I'm going to take him down come hella high water, I'm going to suffer anyway, get the takedown, try to hold him down, because Stipe's tired too at this point, and granted he has the heart of a champion, but if I need to win a fight, yes, I'm a good striker, but I am a world-class wrestler. Get the takedown, win the fight, game over. I was surprised to see him not attempt a shot in that fifth round. Do you think he was uh, unbalanced because of being blind. Uh, now, now is a good point to talk about yeah, the eye right. pokes. I think because sure. so so first first eye poke of the evening, DC eye poke Stipe. Right. So that was like given his criticisms of John Jones. I thought that was really uh, that that was interesting, and it was very clear it was accidental. He looked pissed, like disappointed in himself that that happened, and he's a professional. He's not trying to do that. Um, how did you think that affected Stipe early on? Well, I mean, you got to go back to the history of the fights too because the first fight, the, the big controversy was Stipe got eye-poked. The referee didn't catch it. Then he gets knocked out shortly after with the right hand. And they're saying that, you know, the, the, the controversy was Stipe still had an opportunity to clear his eye out, gets knocked out. You know, here we go. So DC and him already have a history of poking each other in the eye. So in the first couple of rounds when DC pokes Cormier or Stipe in the eye, we're already starting to think, oh, here we go again. Here comes the controversy. Here comes the talk. Because Daniel Cormier, he and it's it's rampant in in MMA. Guys try to, you know, 
kind of zombie, like Frankenstein their hands out there and, and paw with jabs, and they do it with their hands open. They're not supposed to do that. Referees tell them straight up, don't do that because you poke people in the eyes. But it happens because you're trying to grab at the same time you're trying to punch, and sometimes eyeball fingers go in eyeballs. It just happens. Um, so, you know, when Steve gets poked in the eye, of course he's thinking this sucks. It's time to, you know, to, 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 you know, what's going on here. This is a horrible DC did this to me again. It's going to happen again. You have those mental roller coaster rides, but you know, it's your job as a fighter. It, it happens. That's the game. The referee didn't see it. Are you going to whine and say, man, the referee didn't see it. That's why I lost. Or are you going to push through it and move on? And I think both fighters, you know, DC in particular, man, his eye was mangled. mangled. It, lo- it, it looked, it, it was that post fight was uncomfortable just because of right. how clearly damaged his retina was. And I you think know, it was it was later revealed that he had a, he went to the hospital for a detached retina. And oh, did he? It was it a detached retina? That's horrible. Yeah, yeah he, he had some, he had surgery. It was it was uh, it was bad. Yeah, it was bad. It's horrible. And I, I, I kudos to him for still doing the post fight interview. I would I probably just want to get make sure I'm not blind forever. Just but I will I will propose this statement. In regards to the eye poke, in regards to DC's ability to overcome that obstacle, will continue to fight. Like, um, you want to be the greatest heavyweight fighter of all time. You want to solidify yourself in history as this great, amazing warrior that you are. Are you going to allow an un? You know, it's a shame. It's it's sad that it had to happen in this fight. It's very unfortunate that it had to happen in this fight. I personally believe that DC found the intestinal fortitude inside of him to say, I want this bad enough to not allow this to deter me, to change my will to win and, and suck my will to win away from me, find an excuse deep down inside of my heart. Cause that's just the type of guy he is. You don't get to the Olympics by finding excuses to lose. You adapt and overcome. Um, is it unfortunate to happen? Yes. But at the end of the day, you know, if you want to be the greatest in the world at something, you cannot allow unforeseen circumstances to derail your game plan to keep you from pursuing that goal. And I think you you saw that in and, and both of them did. You know, they they ate it up and they just they went forward. I think Stipe handled his eye injury just as well, it, although it was not as bad. It was uh, very clearly one eye poke was worse than the other. But I think that. This is just going to assuming the the interest around the issue is 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 as hot as I think it is right now. The the MMA glove has needed an overhaul for a long time now. A lot of people have been complaining that the way it fits, your hands are jutted out. Yeah. And instead they should make a it's design hard, where it's hard to make a fist so your fingers stay open when when when, when you have to really work to close your hands inside of one of those things. Yeah, have you like have you grappled with MMA gloves? Like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I used to spar MMA. I've, I've done some MMA before. I mean, I freaking, I it's it's difficult. You put them things on, and it just it makes your fingers kind of stay out. You don't really get the ability to grasp them in. I don't know how much of the overhaul of the MMA. I mean, there are guys that make the argument that they don't really the the, the gloves really don't do much of anything because you're not doing much as far as protecting for concussive fall or force you're just keeping your bill you're you're protecting your hands so you don't break a hand and you're also protecting cuts you know you know yeah you know, bare, bare knuckles are going to cut your face more and, and break your hand but it's I mean, there's not really a good answer to that what do you what do you do you can't change it you gotta wear gloves you know it's just an it's an unfortunate circumstance i think maybe referees need to be a better job of of uh of you know maybe 
but then again, you know, DC poked him in the eye earlier. Maybe that eye poke could have been a point negation. But it's hard. You know, maybe, 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 maybe referees enforce it stricter to, to make fighters pay attention to that. And that's how we change the rule. But, you know, I think, whatever. I think that I don't think, I think he got a verbal warning. It wasn't a, it wasn't a point deduction. It was a verbal warning because it was the first one. And right. like, if it was John, it would have been a point deduction. It would have well, been. Well, the, like, the, 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 uh, the referee didn't even see it as an eye poke. Because yeah. Cormier was screaming holler about his eye getting poked, and he looked at him and said, it was a punch, it was a punch. He didn't realize it was an eye poke until after the fight, and he actually went up to Cormier and, and apologized to him. Yeah, and and you got to give it to both of these guys. So respectful. Uh, absolutely class acts. The ebb uh, and flow of that fifth round was one of the most amazing displays of any athletic endeavor i've ever seen in my life i mean it's the stuff that dreams are made of it's the reason why fighters fight it's the reason why fans tune in because i, I when we talked about that fight with mark charles i talked about it in this accord like this was a fight that didn't need to be hyped they didn't need to have a conor mcgregor to hype it up they didn't need to have bad blood between john jones and dc to hype this fight up the fight hyped itself because of the gravity of the fighters involved, and they lived up to the hype when they went in and fought each other. It's one of those occasions that really makes greatness great when you see that happen. Like that fifth round was probably one of the most amazing rounds of any combat athletics I've ever seen in my life. Both of those guys fought their hearts out to the end ebbing and flowing, winning punches, answering one another. And Stipe eventually got the better of that fifth round and I think won the fight because of it. But it was just a remarkable event. and One of the greatest combat athletics events I've ever seen in my life. I hate to, I hate to be this guy because I mm -hmm. don't like bemoaning like what could have been. But as, uh, like in, a war, in the world where DC gets poked in the eye, it's allowed because they didn't catch it in time. His his eye is mangled, and he's like he enters that last round, puts on a little bit more gas, like just what he pulls from wherever in the ether he needs to to get that strength to to get that takedown, and he wins that fight with that eye. That's like yeah, that's we're talking. That would probably have erased John. Like that would have like put John Jones fully in his rearview mirror even more than he already is. Like, I, 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 yeah, we'll see. I still think John Jones is going to try to talk shit, and, and 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 I'll definitely bring it up. I think John Jones still says he's the better fighter, and he might. Oh, been. speaking of, speaking I think of, we, yeah, we would be, but we would be remiss if we didn't talk about John uh, announcing he's vacating the UFC lightweight heavyweight title in an effort to move uh, up to the heavyweights and possibly uh, compete against Stipe. Uh, there are people in line ahead of him for that. Dana has said as much, but. This is still a man who many consider uh, controversy uh, and all to be the greatest mixed martial artist in history. Uh, never really been beaten. He, he lost one match on the most bullshit technicality I think any of us have ever seen. <laughs> um, yeah, what's the, what, do you, what do you think? What do you think about this move? I mean, you know, there's a bunch of different things I think about it. I, I you know... In my heart of hearts, as much as I enjoy to watch John Jones compete, I just don't like him. I just, I just, I can't get up behind him. There's a part of me that just does not appreciate 
what he does, who he is, and the character that he employs and the fact that the UFC continues to tolerate it. Um, that being said, when he's on, he's probably the greatest mixed martial artist of all time. Um, but also watching his last few fights in the light, light heavyweight for a division, I really think that that time off because him being a shithead has really affected his performance. I mean, he has not been the over overly dominant presence in the cage that he had been in the past. I mean, if you look at the, the, the majority of the fights he's had in the past, if you take away the Gustafson fight, it's not even close. No one even had a chance. He was wrecked I'm, through everyone. I am one of the people in the camp that did think that Dominic Reyes got screwed in their last fight. I, I fully thought we were going to see his hand get raised, a new changing of the guard, because I thought he won that fight. Like, there are people that suddenly started bringing up new criteria for winning. Like, oh, but it's a championship, so you got to win the last round. I'm like, no, that's not how fighting works. Right. Dom won the first few rounds, and I think he lost the last the wait or two. But that math is still math. Three out of two gets you the W, in my opinion. And I think Dom was very annoyed like it seemed like he was annoyed and he should be because i feel like that's that's a good rubber match i want to see that fight again i'm sad we'll never get to see it i'm sad that instead of you know sticking around trying to see if anyone's going to be able to take that from him he's riding off into the sunset and for a huge payday for whoever he goes against at heavyweight um well you know john jones has earned the right to be that platinum yeah, no, no, MMA I get fight. that. You yeah. don't win the amount that he's won, and right. you, you get to make your own rules at that point. I'm not, I'm personal preference aside, I'm not saying he can, you know. And yeah, I think I, I will say just real quick, it is very honorable. Uh, actually, Anthony Lionheart Smith uh, also recently commented on this, and I agree that he could have done a Connor and held the division up as he went up to heavyweight in order to try and become a champ champ, but he didn't. And I don't know if that was because he was told he can't behind the scenes. I don't know if there was a backdoor conversation where he wanted to do that. But I can't judge him based on something I didn't know happened. He vacated, which is the right thing to do. People are going to get a new champ. Uh, Reyes and Blaskowitz are fighting for the, the new belt. That's a good thing. That's a good thing that he did that, and I, I, I'm really happy. You know, the, but the question is, is did he do that on his own? You know, I, it's, it's, I imagine that there was yeah. conversations with yeah. Dana White. You know, John Jones has done enough to wreck his own stock in the UFC on his own. So when he came at, when he came at Dana White, which, you know, and, and complained about not being paid and wanted to get Deontay Wilder money, wanted to get Conor McGregor money, um, you know, Danny White told him flat out, hey, bro, you know, unfortunately, you have done a few bad things over the course of the last three years of your life that makes people not care as much. To, you're still John Jones. You're still going to you're still going to be a headline. We're still going to have you on for a title fight. You know, you're, you're probably not going to be on the prelims anytime soon. But the idea of you saying you are that elite level that's deserving the amount of the payday that Conor McGregor gets, it's just not working into the numbers anymore now granted the ufc does need to change their pay they're just not paying these guys anywhere near enough the money that it's like what is it like a, they've made five billion dollars over the last well, since they sold the company so. yeah and that's a big thing about that was how they slowly and it, yeah the reebok deal is ending and right. uh, now they're going to be 
uh, with Venom, I believe. I, Venom. I'm a little yeah. Yeah, Venom but back in back at it again with that old stuff. But they were fa- even before the Reebok deal, they were phasing out athletes' ability to really earn sponsorships by uh, they started charging the sponsors for the ability to sponsor athletes. So instead of having a, a, a lot of fighters, smaller yep. brands that wanted to pay people to be able to represent their stuff had to make could maybe afford two fighters max. And if they yep. don't if they don't pan out, that and even if they do pan out, sponsorships are not necessarily always going to translate to sales. It's really it's a it's predatory. Yeah, you know? I, my my I have a love hate relationship with the Reebok deal. I, I get the idea they want to make uniformity, they want to make things like more professional and stuff like that. But it's it also takes money out of the out of the, out of the fighters' pockets. Bottom line, and it it, it kind of takes away from the attachment to the fans to be able to say, hey, look, yeah, you know, this I'm going to sponsor from my own home team. This guy's going to give me money, you know, type type thing. My own hometown buddy is going to put my his his sponsorship on my short so I can make a little bit of money doing that. Dana White didn't like the unprofessional nature of it, but it kind of kind of goes goes both ways. I, I well, could care. You want to talk, you wanna talk about you want to talk about unprofessional. I don't think it was really that at all. I think he just wanted to absorb as much of the money as he can because the the octagon doesn't look professional oh monster energy is just yeah, plastered yeah. here right, exactly. like this is right. supposed to be a modern gladiator and right. mcdonald's could just be this guy's getting the shit kicked out of him or whatever of whatever new netflix re- whatever new netflix release is coming out can uh can yeah. be posted on the bottom yeah like i don't really see uh this mlb this nfl game is brought to you by whatever new Netflix bullshit is out. Like, imagine <laughs> that Super Bowl brought to you by the new season of House of Cards that's coming out. Kevin right. Spacey's back. We forgave him. You know, but in, like in there's sponsorships, of, but there's a pro- there's a professionalism to it, right? Like, in, in how terms would you of feel the, if, like like go ahead. Yeah, sorry, sorry, I'm I'm, you, you, I'm you, you, like, you, you, but you, real you, quick, imagine get off, get off your chest, Bowl, baby. Go ahead. Like, yeah, next fucking Super Bowl, Brady's throwing the final touchdown pass so that he can win in Florida, and this and Gronk is skating through, like powering down, and he's running, and the field is just littered with fucking logos. Like, okay. imagine McDonald's, NASCAR, some bullshit. Like, I don't, I don't. If it means if it means the Bucks win the Super Bowl, I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. I'll be I'll be right there with them. Yay! Snap on tools. <laughs> of all the of all the states that get to be happy about this, I'm pissed that it's Florida. Like you guys don't <laughs> you guys don't deserve Gronk and Brady. Like like no, you we, you we, barely we really deserve don't. one. We really like, don't. We really don't. <laughs> but you know what? We'll take it. In in, in true Florida manner. <laughs> well, how yeah, the hell did I'm, this happen? Yes. I was I was interrupting you earlier, but you're like, good. You're but good. Fire your pace. Sorry. So yeah, the, the well, I was gonna I was gonna move on to the idea of John Jones as a viable heavyweight, and you know, based on a few things, like I want to believe in John Jones, but you watch a few of his last fights, and I think Dana White says the same things. He didn't look as dominant in the light heavy division in his last few fights. He talks about how much bigger and stronger he will be as a heavyweight. He cuts down all this weight to get to light heavyweight. But the reality of it is he's really not a true heavyweight fighter in the same way that um, Daniel Cormier is not a true heavyweight fighter. Like if you look at uh, uh, Stipe, and um, what's his name? Said it. Said it. Said it right. Um, 
Oh man, who? What the hell's his name? Uh, the the announcer, uh, Joe Rogan, said it right. He said, um, "You know, you look at Stipe coming in and getting in the cage, and there's no way he could cut down to 205. Not in any world imaginable could Stipe cut to 205. Could Verdum cut to 205? Well, could could Francis Ngannou cut to 205? Yeah." Didn't Rumble you know, cut down to a crazy yeah. amount back when he was well, fighting? Rumble, yeah, Rumble used to Rumble used to fight freaking uh, middleweight, I think, lightweight, I think. Actually, Rumble, Rumble Johnson, he, he's just a, he's just a, a sponge. But <laughs> the idea is this: is you know, do we fall into the same realm that you know? Do you talk about when we talk about how good can someone that isn't really a true heavyweight compete at the heavyweight division? And you know, I think it's unproven. In John Jones' cases, I don't think he gets a direct route straight to to, to Stipe. He's got to fight. He's got to fight a a a journeyman guy. He's got to stop, fight a stepping stone like Ngannou or Verdum or who knows, maybe even a rematch with uh, with Gustafson. But he's going to have to put in one or two heavyweight fights before he gets that Stipe fight. And I don't really know that it translates to that to that degree because I think they're going to give him a true heavyweight to fight with when he comes in the fight. I don't think it's going to be a blown up uh, Gustafson. I mean, assuming he – because I've, I'm fairly confident he can make that first round. He can make right. that first test at heavyweight just because he's that – I mean, he might have – he might have his skills might have waned a little bit, uh, but he's still John Jones. I feel like I'll give – I can fully see him winning that first fight. This is not like Luke Rockhold yeah. where no, no, no. he's going up and it's crazy that he's going up and he just gets starched in the second round, you know, like – this is John Jones, and he he's earned that. He's earned my ability to see him winning whatever first test they give him at heavyweight. Um, but like, what matchups are you interested in seeing? Because I don't know if I necessarily want to see him with like Derek Lewis or even Ngannou. Well, I think I, that Ngannou is a big money fight for him because they've already been jawing with one another, and Ngannou is this indomitable force in the heavyweight division. But I think Ngannou Stipe is going to be the next heavyweight fight. I think the next defense for Stipe is probably going to be against Francis Ngannou. Um, you know, Derek Lewis is a is a marketable fight for him. Um, there's a couple other guys in that division that are marketable fights for him. The guy that Derek Lewis just knocked out, I can't remember, could be on the horizon because he's out. again. Was it? Was it? Uh... The the, the 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 other the other uh african guy i can't remember his name the kickboxing guy oh well no Black. yeah Derek lewis knocked him out he fought again not too long ago he he just knocked out um who did he fight this who did he fight this last weekend he knocked somebody out this last weekend i can't remember who it was but it was on the undercard of the dc fight it was a good fight but anyway there are lots of options for dc for for john jones to come back up and fight in the heavyweight division and it's um, questions uh, we'll yeah. have to answer. Lewis just beat it's uh, question. Alexi Olenek. That was who he beat. Yeah, right. But there's another one. There's another one that Ngannou just Ngannou just beat uh, a different right. guy. I think that's like yeah, yeah. that's what you're thinking. Yeah. There's guys in the mix in that heavyweight division. You know, for for Richard Verdum could be a, could be a good matchup for John Jones to see how that goes down at heavyweight division. You know, John Jones has to fight a real heavyweight. And be able to feel that real heavyweight punch, or be able to feel that real heavyweight just weight on top of them in the clinch and pull him down and carry that weight around for three rounds and see how he fares against that. And if his little cheap kicks and his ability to keep that range holds up, I think it will. But you know, I don't know if I see him beating Stipe. To tell you the truth, I think Stipe's too good. 
I I think that he would have to rely. I, he would have to engage his jujitsu a lot more than we've seen him do lately. You know, yeah. and he's you know he's got he's got purple belt. He's been at submission underground. He's very accustomed to the grapple game. Um, what I think is interesting is that when like a while ago he was, uh, people talked to him about going up to see D, to compete against DC at heavyweight to get that strap and sort of follow him. And he straight up admitted that he didn't feel comfortable giving DC that extra power, like that he didn't know if he could, if he could deal with that, you know? So, and, and, but now he's, he's talking a lot differently. He's saying being at heavyweight will unlock my true genetic potential. You know, all the bullshit that you got to say. He wants to get, he's got to sell it. He's got to, he's got to promote it. He's got to get his name out there and sell it. He's going to be good at that. Of course, he's going to say he's the greatest. Of course, he can say he can do it. Because benefits him now, and he'll 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 say that he's roll he's sparred with heavyweights and taking heavyweight punches in practice. He'll do ev- all of that, and he probably has, you know. He, but I, like, you know, I don't even know what he walks around at. The sad the sad story is this, and this is the sadness of this whole thing. So three years ago, before the epic saga of John Jones begins to unravel around us, after he beats DC. Like if he's on top of the world without all of the, 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 the steroid abuse and all of the, the drug abuse and all the issues that he has in his personal life, you know, he's an automatic hell. Yeah. Give him a heavyweight title fight, pull him up right now because he's John Jones and on top of the world. And everyone wants to see that, but because he's been out of the conversation for so long and now he's having to resort to all these little weird little pot shots and twit tweets and all these things he's doing to try to be like, Hey, remember me? I'm John Jones. I'm still here. Let's talk a little trash so I can get up in the attention. Like it's not the same marketable ability for him. And it's three years later, four years later, his skills just aren't the same. It's the bottom line. He did it to himself, whether he wants to believe it or not. And he still doesn't believe it. He still doesn't think he's done anything wrong. That's the sad part of it. Well, I think the the certain people in in the industry and the media have had a hand in sort of coddling him, you know, like always being and you know, the UFC has welcomed him back. Dana at the first time he said he'll never headline again, immediately headlining his next fight, you know, it's it's this he's t- I I feel like the sport needs to get away from these central figures and I think that's what is going to help us go forward, but I I really don't know. He's He's one of the best and his marketability speaks for itself and people want a controversy. I think a lot of people tune in watching, hoping he'll lose, you know, hoping that finally someone comes in and is better than John Jones. I was hoping Izzy would do it truthfully. Yeah. That's that's, honestly, I, I like that fight better that unification fight better than John Jones at heavyweight to tell you the truth. But you know, John Jones is going to do what he wants to do. So, uh, yeah, and I I think that I think I agree with you. I think Stipe takes that. I don't think John John hasn't competed at heavyweight like long, he's not, as he's not, not used to that power. He's not the same guy anymore. Whether he wants to believe it or not, he's just not. He doesn't have it. He has, doesn't have it like he used to. Now he has to resort to all these things. One last thing on on, on ending the John Jones discussion. Unfortunately. I say this all the time whenever I talk about John Jones. I just believe he's unremorseful, has no idea how bad he is and the things he does in his life and doesn't care, thinks he's still freewheeling. The story of John Jones will not have a happy ending, and I think it's very sad to see that. I think we're in for, for – we're not done with John Jones's drama, and there's going to be something very sad that happens with that young man because there's lots of things going on with him that need to be taken care of and need to be thought out and looked after. Right. Well, you know – 
Uh, all this aside, I'm not a fan of him, but I, I do wish that he has a good life. I wish that he fixes the demons that he has. You know, even DC kind of, uh, they're, they're so heated, but recent, like his most recent uh, DUI, even DC was like, I don't, I don't want to trash a man when he's so down, you know? And yeah, even so, DC off on him, yeah. Yeah, no, so so Mr. Jones, uh, I do hope, I do wish you the best, you know, like it's it's clear you got some stuff and we all have stuff, but you know, we're we're also all on this on this planet together so we can try and help each other out every now and again. So I think that's a good positive, somber but positive note to end on. Uh you got anything else Kev G that you want to you want to bring up here to close? <laughs> nah, man, you know, uh you know, excited to watch some uh Romo Barrow tonight. I might check that out on Flow Grappling. Um, seems like a pretty good match. A couple good matches. I'm cool to see these these old guys coming out there and give it another shot. And you know, I'm excited about you out at uh, it's Subscatcher this weekend. When, when is that going? Is that going to be Sunday? It's going to air up on that Sunday is, or Saturday. That is going. To, it's there's going to be a YouTube live stream that anyone can check out on Saturday. Uh, myself alongside Josh Laduke will be doing uh, color commentary and some post fights with the fighters. Also, if you happen to be here uh, during the event or the preceding Sunday festival, uh, feel free to come say hi. You know, I'm a, I'm much more personable up close than I, I maybe appear to be on here. But uh, yeah, just good, good people, good jujitsu. Yeah, uh, I think that's a good place to call it. Uh, thank you very much for joining us for this episode of the Jiu-Jitsu Times podcast. I've been your host, Kevin Bradley, joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Kevin Gallagher. And we'll see you later.